They say we don't come any closer It was something you wanted to see Yeah, we don't come any closer When you're weak, yeah, you bend at the knee Hello and welcome to episode 1557 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined as usual by Meg Rowley of Fangraphs. Hello, Meg. Hello. And we have a couple pals on the show with us today because we wanted to do a bonus episode, extra episode this week about how we all plan to cover this season if the season does in fact happen and how it will change our jobs and particularly a couple of people who are out and about more than I am and more than Meg is as we cover baseball in our way and are at the ballpark and are talking to players all the time. So we are joined by James Feakin who covers the White Sox for The Athletic. Hello, James. Hey. And we have the honor of welcoming on Mike (laughs) Farron, who is a host for MLB Network Radio and also does pregame and postgame for the Diamondbacks and also some play-by-play. Hello, Mike. Hi. It is great to be with uh, so so many great friends and James. (laughs) (laughs) So first, I guess we wanted to start out by talking about what you know to this point about the logistics of how this will affect your job. Because my job, I've been pretty fortunate. My job is to sit at home most of the time and sometimes call people on the phone and I can still do that. But I don't have to be at the ballpark every single day. I'm not traveling a ton. I worked from home already. So this has not been a huge disruption to my routine. And even when the season starts, if the season starts, it still probably won't be. But for people who are covering teams on a daily basis, it obviously is. So the MLB operations manual I know has some details in there about what this will mean for writers and broadcasters, and maybe some of that is still TBD. But James, are you aware of how this will change your routine and what you're able to do and not do? I mean, it's still kind of to be determined to a degree. I I think we're supposed to have another, like me personally, I'm supposed to have a call with a White Sox PR like next week to kind of figure out and hash out more details. But there's no like reasonable expectation of doing an in-person interview in 2020, which I guess, you know, if you told March, James, that would be mind blowing. But (laughs) for me, I've been like you for the last, you know, three and a half months of existing on phone calls. If anything, having like scheduled media availability the last two days, have kind of reblown my mind after kind of entering a life where baseball is just never going to seemingly happen again because it's such a, a normal stretch of time. But yeah, you, you make your living off the 45 minutes that you come to the ballpark and you're in the clubhouse and whether or not the people there, obviously things you can do in the meantime and, and stuff you can set up and, and coaching interviews and catching guys uh, after betting practice and whatnot. But that was how you're geared or I've been geared for, th- for three years of, of being on the beat. And now that's been gone and there's, there's no real knowledge of when that will come back. And probably some existential angst about how much it will ever return in a meaningful way. I I think sports writers are naturally paranoid and obviously kind of always think that teams don't need them and don't want them. And they wonder if they get crowded out, if they'll be let back in. But given that we don't really know when the end of sight is for the virus and the fact that, if anything, it seems farther away than it did uh, a month ago, 
there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of debate about what does this mean for guys who have made their living traveling and kind of beating everybody just through work ethic and being more present and picking up things just from being there and the trust you build up with players and coaches and front office from being there. It seems like that's kind of gone away and everyone's kind of freaking out how to do that. I mean, there's an internal debate right now about what should be given to to people if if, if media is going to be handled on Zoom calls uh, from here on out in the foreseeable future? Uh, what what is the access to that? Do you reward people who traveled? Do you do you not create what would be an incentive for people to put themselves on risk by making it available to everybody? Is that I mean it's kind of a you know a huge mass of, of Zoom calls where it's thirty people, including bloggers and radio and and along with the beat reporters, all <laughs> yeah. talking to the starting pitcher uh, right after the game ends. It, <laughs> Nightmare. It, no, no one really knows what, what's going to happen, and uh, mostly they're just arguing about it a lot. And would you still go to the ballpark every day? Do you think if you weren't able to talk to people, like would you still feel that it was important to be around? Object, like if it objectively. No, it, I don't think it's important. Like the purpose of me going there, I don't like the White Sox press box is in right field. It's not a like I probably have a better idea from how, how the pitcher's doing and what they're doing and what's dictating every at bat. If I watched it on TV, I have a yeah. great view of the right fielder's route to balls in the gap, but it's not like an essential. I, I've heard ball writers talk about like how can we really vote for the MVP if we're if we're not watching in person. It does not improve my judgment <laughs> yeah, of that whatsoever. It's, it's not but 1923. <laughs> yeah, I mean. As a sports writer uh, in a shrinking industry, in a dying industry, uh, where you're constantly striving to kind of prove that you're vital, you're necessary, that you're adding some value over some other schlub who would do it for $10,000 less per year. I, I think if it's a, a system where you need to prove you need to go to the ballpark to get access, if you need to travel to get access, if you need to just be staking out the parking lot to get access probably don't have as much confidence in my standing that I'm going to have a, a, a job years or years from now if I'm not out hustling everybody. So I don't feel like really like, well, I'll, you guys can go. I can do this job from home. And I, I, I'm probably not 100% confident in how that would look. So that's <laughs> that dire prediction is very um, specific to the beat writing sense. Mike, your role in bringing baseball to your listeners is obviously very different than uh, James's bringing stories to his readers. How, what are you going to be doing once baseball resumes? Yeah. So, so broadcasters are uh, considered tier three employees under the, the, um, the health and safety protocol. And I know you guys were just talking a little bit about those this week, but tier one is basically field staff and players. Tier two is, I think it's limited to 38 people. And there are some, some people from the communications department that would be in there, but the broadcasts don't, broadcasters don't fall into that. And then the rest of us are, are you know, tier three, which basically means we're allowed to be in the ballpark, but we can't go anywhere near ballplayers at all, which does the impact our ability to tell their stories over the course of a broadcast? I mean, we, we are uh, much like, like James going to be at the mercy of what we can try and, and, you know, set up either through our media relations staff or through our, our personal relationships with players and coaches to be able to have that information. And then we have the added difficulty this year of not being able to travel and, you know, both television and radio are going to be calling 
away games remotely. Everybody will be doing the home games from their ballpark, but the away games will be called on a monitor, not dissimilar to what they've done for the KBO. Maybe a little bit better in that regard, that we won't have just a a, a program feed, you know, what, what's going out on the air, but we probably will have a couple of other camera feeds that are on a separate monitor or monitors so that we can try and track track what's going on but that's basically how we're going to handle the entire year there is a a provision in there um, for road radio to be able to travel but they basically have to create their own travel and their own accommodations they can't stay at the team hotel they have to be separate from from the players in an effort to try and keep that that group of what 125 that are going to be tested regularly between tier one and tier two as safe as possible so it's going to be unique. It's going to be a real challenge, I think, because it's going to be something that we haven't done before. And, um, you know, I think especially when it comes to calling games on radio, you, you know, you rely so much on the action that's in front of you versus the monitor that it's going to make it uh, a little bit different. But I, I like a good challenge. And, you know, I, I'm hopeful that we can put together a product that, um, you know, it still entertains and informs the audience. And that and that's really the goal, because at, at this point, we, we all just need some entertainment, maybe a a little less informing, but a little more entertainment at this point. You're tier one to me, Mike. <laughs> uh, tier one in your hearts, but tier three in the handbook, right? <laughs> yeah. So for either of you or both of you, what would you lose and what would we lose as readers or listeners if you didn't have access to players or if your access were restricted? Because I think a lot of people think of the cliche ridden ball player interview and the post game quote that's just, oh, I went up there and I was looking for a good pitch to hit and just got a good pitch to hit, didn't try to do too much with it, et cetera, et cetera. And you get that a lot, of course. And you might talk to a player for five or 10 minutes and look down at what you actually have and say, there's nothing worth putting in a story here. But there are many times, of course, where it can be really helpful to have relationships with players and to talk to players and get their insights and learn things. So what are some stories that you couldn't have done, James, without that kind of access? Or what would you miss? What would your stories be lacking? And I guess, Mike, for you too, I mean, you wouldn't have pregame or postgame show guests, but what would you miss just in your kind of knowledge of the team and the clubhouse? I guess, James, you could go first. I mean... As far as what's been emphasized in my job the last couple of years, I, I mean, I would say everything because there are other there are a lot of people who write for Meg site that know uh, statistical breakdowns uh, a lot better than me. Uh, there's a lot of people who get scoops from agents a, a lot better than me. There's people who just write better than me in, in general. I would say that I try to make my my living. Uh, Basically, the idea that I read fan graphs and I'm going to apply some of the knowledge I take there, or I'm going to chat with my colleague Ken Rosenthal and get like some inside information, and I'm actually going to take it to and address players of the White Sox on it individually and try to get some more in depth out of it. And and part of it is that I kind of cover an obscure franchise uh, that I probably have a unique level of enthusiasm about, and you're you're, you're probably not going to get a combination of someone who is trying to read and inform themselves about the game and apply it to this one kind of obscure team that people mostly ignore. Uh, so the fact that I'm like taking these kind of statistical dives and applying it to Jimmy Cordero, whereas most of the people don't know who Jimmy Cordero is, I, I, I feel like everything I do is trying to based off of, well, what if somebody who actually understood, uh, you know, 
some of these concepts actually uh, tried to apply it and ask the White Sox players about it uh, individually or ask White Sox coaches about it in the individually. That, that's, that's probably entirely what my job function has been the last couple of years. So I, I definitely think I'll ask as well as I can uh, or, you know, grill uh, Chris Getz about whether or not stuff I read about on driveline is being applied in White Sox player development. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much potential there is. Like I, I flip, I basically, once I got access as a writer, I've been trying to make the most out of it as I possibly can. So to kind of reverse course on that is kind of requiring a, a whole rethinking of what I do. I like to think I have a really good relationship with Lucas Giolito, who's the best, both the best pitcher on the White Sox, but also the best talker, most insightful guy to talk to. And we just did a conference call with him and the White Sox uh, media relations, you know, did a great job to set it up. But as a result of like the format and the fact that it's a group interview and it's a Zoom call, I asked him two questions. So how much can that really get? Uh, and that's more than other people got. So I, I feel like how much can I really recreate of what I was doing uh, beforehand in terms of really covering a season in depth and, and just, my goal is to try to make people understand why the team won or lost and what makes a player uh, good or, or not good or, or fail or succeed. And uh, I, I think my capacity will probably be somewhere around 10% to do what I was doing before. Yeah. I mean, I think I think from, from my standpoint, it might be a little bit different because as somebody who works for the team, I have a feeling that I'm going to be able to get a little bit different access. Like, we'll, you know, you alluded to, to pre and post game interviews, Ben. We're, we're still going to be able to have those. We're going to be able to take advantage of the technology that we've all learned to be able to have the manager show every day, you know, so we'll, we'll I'll do a Zoom meeting with Tori Lovello every day to do that. We'll probably do player interviews uh, from from the road games more because that, that fits what our format would be. And also keeping in mind that that it's a little bit unique content because there won't be as many chances for somebody like James to be able to come in and get a feature. And so there, there's that chance to be able to get that conversation. So from that standpoint, I don't think that it's going to change very much. I think it's the either the off the record or the the trying to gain insight into decision making or insight into personality or the funny one-off story that you know can really help to punctuate a broadcast I think is what's going to be lost. And and that that's the human side of of covering sports and and I'm not sure how to do it. I mean, I, Jason Benetti and I talked about this uh, about a month and a half ago and he said you know, his hope was that they would they would be able to at least provide. You know, it's like, hey, if I've got a question uh, about from player X and something that happened last night, I might be able to get them on a Zoom call for two minutes. Or it's going to be text messages with players and coaches and managers, and that's fine. But you guys know, text messages can be misconstrued a lot of the time, and, and losing that face to face connection is going to be is going to make things a little bit more difficult. It's definitely going to be a challenge, but the goals are still the same in that you're trying to tell these stories, you're trying to, to you know, humanize the players so that they're not just, the, you know, the statistics on the back of a baseball card that and that, that or that they're just, you know, this kind of distant performer that you get a chance to, to understand who they are as a person. And, you know, I think it's just going to be incumbent on us to try a bunch of different ways until we find, find the way to be able to make it work in what's, you know, a, really a, a difficult situation. I think one of the additional challenges that we're all going to face this season is that one of the most obvious human stories that we're having to deal with, that the players on the field are going to have to deal with, that team personnel is going to have to deal with is how we can safely 
stage a baseball season in the midst of a pandemic. And I think that we're all relieved, both as people who enjoy baseball and enjoy the diversion of it, but also as people who work in the industry and like to be able to like pay rent and buy food, that there's going to seemingly be some kind of a season. But it is not one that is necessarily going to be safe, and it certainly isn't without risk. And so I'm curious how the two of you have sort of thought about the tone that we bring to this season, the way that we deal with balancing, you know, the play on the field versus the sort of broader context that we find these games being played in. Because on the one hand, you don't necessarily want, you know, the subheader of every story you file or the lead into every interview you do to be, and should we really be playing in a pandemic at all? But that is a question that I think we're going to have to grapple with probably at multiple points over the course of the season. And, you know, hopefully we're not dealing with it because there has been some kind of a tragedy, but that possibility also exists. So I am asking this as much because I am still struggling with the answer myself <laughs> as someone who has to lead a publication. But uh, maybe, James, we can start with you and then we can go to Mike. What how do you how are you thinking about tone this year? I'm probably thinking about it a lot because in these group interviews, these everyone's kind of asking stuff about like how many innings do you think you're ready to throw right now and uh what does this uh situation affect trades and how, how do you uh, make the way the decision between rebuilding and or or going for it based off the limited time you have? And I'm more thinking on the level of like should we be doing this man? Like is this a good idea? <laughs> But when you're in a group interview and the kind of group thing takes over, when your questions are wildly different from like what other colleagues are asking, it kind of makes you second guess yourself in a way I don't think you would when you're doing a one on one and you're thinking, like, well, this is my question. I'm going to ask it as opposed to like, am I is this am I off base? Am I is this an appropriate like tack for me to be taking? I also think it's a much lower fresh threshold for a player to be having a close conversation by the locker and also saying maybe like, you know, this is off the record, like, Hey man, are you worried? And them saying like, yeah, I am concerned. This is worrying based on them saying it on the record in a group interview that's being recorded uh, with the PR staff, like on the line, like, and that's not the fault of the PR staff. It's just a reality. It's like a different, there's, there's a difference between something you're able to whisper to a, like a friend or a colleague or somebody, you know, and, and basically yelling it in the middle of a crowded room. So I, I wonder how much we're missing out on the, really taking the temperature of players or what the individual concern is of coaches just because the level of distance and how, how much they have to kind of act proactively, uh, take it upon themselves to put it out there to really kind of voice any of their worries. And yeah, we're in an industry where everyone's livelihood, where there's already been cutbacks, there's already been layoffs, uh, everyone's kind of livelihood depends on this going right and uh, there being a season and there being money from it and the whole... The whole uh, you know, industry that we built around baseball kind of constantly being a thing is hurting and needs it to come back. I feel like that kind of takes us on this uh, in this momentum that carries away really weighing the question uh, of whether or not, you know, we should be doing this and whether or not this is uh, this is safe or, or moral even. And, you know, you want to push that as much as you can, but how much can you really maybe we're not even the right like population to ask it because of the position we're in. I, I think if we were judging this from a uh, from an outside perspective, we'd probably say that we're ethically compromised to some degree. So we, we have to fight against that somehow while while doing our jobs. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, listen, doing a radio show for the last three months, uh, three and a half months on baseball, I mean, we've stuck to the three Ps for the most part in pandemic protests and pro rata. And I'm really excited to be able to talk about something other than those three things. For sure. I mean, I think it, it's it's also important to, to constantly be mindful of, of where we are. Yeah. And, you know, we, I just did a roundtable with a, a group of play-by-play guys the other day and and it was right after Meg had asked me to do this and so it was at the top of top of my mind on like how do you handle this because we can't be ignorant to the fact that there's a pandemic going on and you can't be ignorant to the fact that there's a good chance that in a number of these cities there are still going to be black lives matter protests over the course of 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 the summer and and these are important public health discussions that need to to go on and how do you balance that against against what everybody is probably listening to or watching a baseball game for at this point, which is an escape from the reality of what has been just the worst damn year that any of us could possibly imagine. And so like finding that balance isn't, isn't easy and nobody seemed to have a good answer for how you do it. I mean, I I don't think, I think the way we've tried to handle it is, especially in the last week is, you know, granted we've got like a two hour format right now to do it over is, Hey, we're excited about baseball coming back. Here's some of the rule changes. Here's some of the things that are going to happen if we're able to get the season off the ground, but still dedicating time to, you know, the fact that, listen, there's a pandemic going on and that you know, states that have what nearly two thirds of the major league teams are seeing a huge spike in cases. And how do we keep players safe? And, you know, how do you, when you see somebody like Trevor May of the twins tell Jason Stark on Twitter that like 1% of the time that was spent over the last three months discussing getting back on the field was spent on the health and safety protocols. I mean, I think that's stuff that really gets your attention and that you absolutely have to be dis- to discuss. Even if you're you know, in a position where you're working for a team, you have to treat yourself as a reporter of what's going on. And the news of what's happening in the world has to take at least some semblance of precedence. It doesn't mean that it has to overwhelm your broadcast, but it does need to be something that you continue to discuss. So I, I'm trying to take it down two paths. I'm extremely excited that baseball's coming back. I especially love the potential weird baseball aspect of a 60-game season. And since both sides are apparently still willing to talk about the extra playoffs, I think the weirdness of extra playoffs in this year would be really cool, while also being realistic about the fact that I live in Arizona and we have had more cases in the last week than there have ever been players that have stepped into a major league batter's box. So I think that yeah. there's you, you have to be able to balance those two things and know that that, hey, it's okay to be excited about this, but also realistic that there is a chance that something goes wrong. Yeah, I'm curious if one of the lasting, you know, saying anything to emerge from this is good feels terrible, just given the human cost of any of it. But I do wonder if one of the things that will change after this strange season, both in terms of how we've had to deal with the pandemic and talking about that, but then also the very pressing and important social reality of the protests in Black Lives Matter is going to maybe be the start of a meaningful shift in the way that baseball media, which not the two of you, but like has generally been kind of stodgy around questions like that, is comfortable with trying to strike that balance between, you know, still reporting on the game and getting people excited, but also acknowledging the social context in which we find ourselves and and trying to, you know, engage with that responsibly rather than avoid it. Do you think that is that optimistic of me? <laughs> yes, but 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 I I mean I think I'm I'm a good example of it too because 
it's not something that I have largely been willing to talk about on the radio until recently, in large part because I I think, and especially over the last several years, that you know again it goes back to to what I just talked about. Like you're you're trying to create a distraction, right? And if everything around you is going wrong, like being able to tune in someplace where you know you can at least forget about your troubles for a little bit and maybe have a little bit of fun and think about baseball. I think that that's I think that's important, but. You know, I, I also have very strong views, especially when it comes to equality and and whether that whether that be, you know, Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ or whatever it is. Those are things that are important issues to me. And I don't think without this, I would have been able to find my voice to stand up for it. And I'll tell you what, it helped that that my radio partner, Jim Ducat, who is not necessarily the guy that you would think of as being the guy that's leading the charge for equality, was willing to stand up too. And he really brought, you know, we, he really helped to bring me out of my shell on that because these are things that are, I think, important to discuss. And I think sometimes, you know, for lack of a better terms, you got to call an asshole an asshole. And I'm much more willing now to stand up and stand for my beliefs publicly, I think, than I have been in the past. And I don't think that would have happened without everything that's gone on in the last several months. Yeah. And I feel like you're probably a little bit more outside of the bubble that we are in just because of your job at MLB Network Radio. I mean, SiriusXM, of course, is a subscription service, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that your show attracts discerning and intelligent listeners. But still, you're getting a, a wide cross-section of people, and you're getting people calling in all the time. And maybe demographically, it's a little different from our audience or the Fangraphs audience. So What did you find the sentiment to be first about the ownership versus labor Mm -hmm. argument over the past couple of months? And then now about the question of whether it's even safe to do this. Like, are you getting people calling in and saying, oh, it's a bunch of babies, you know, there's no risk. It's a bunch of athletes and it's not a risk. Or are you not really getting that? I I would just wonder how prevailing that sentiment is because we don't get that from our listeners, but we're lucky that our listeners are are great people. Right. Well, so we're in a twofold position here. One, in that we don't really take very many calls on our show to begin with. And then two, we actually haven't been live for three and a half months. We've uh-huh. been taping our show mostly the afternoon before uh, because our studios in DC have been shut down uh, you know, since the middle of March. And so we've been trying to to handle it that way. So we, you know, Twitter is great for people sharing, you know, uh, being a really good uh, microscope on what's happening in America, right? But, <laughs> but I mean, I think this, this is the sense that I got, I, at least... I mean, let's start with let's start with the social justice fact. I mean, I think most for the most part, people are understanding and and okay with the idea that like that it's it's right to stand up for the rights of people. I think for the most part, we want to we we want what's we want everybody to be treated well. Every once in a while, you get a jerk that that comes, and then the best thing you can do is you can mute them, and and that's a really wonderful passive aggressive tool that Twitter has. In terms of the way that the season has played out, I think, and and it's really tough because inside the baseball Twitter bubble, it is very pro player. And so trying to take yourself back from that is right. a little bit, it can be a little bit difficult. But I think that for the first time in something like this, I had seen a public shift to the side of players for the most part, mm-hmm. up until when and where. And when when and where turned into a counter proposal, there were a lot of eye rolls. And a lot mm-hmm. of reactions from people that were like, really? Like, this is this is where it went. And it's almost like, like as organic and as cool as that moment was with players who were tweeting that, 
that caused a lot of people to take a step back and go, okay, what's really going on here? So I think that that balanced it out maybe a little bit in the end in the way that that, that people felt about it. But for the most part, I think they they had the players back. As for the, the pandemic, I mean, people are scared. And so I think that there are enough people that continue to be concerned about whether or not players are going to be healthy by attempting to play. And so I still get a fair amount of reactions on that. And we get a lot of, they shouldn't even be trying this. They should cancel the season. Of course, they said that back in March too. And so, and then there are those that say, just get out there and do it. They're at very low risk. So, I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily a balance there. I think most people are concerned about the health and safety of the players overall. At least the people that, that I've dealt with seem to be that, but they also seem because the players have been on board with this restart, willing to to support them in an effort to try and get baseball off the ground again because you know they miss baseball as a distraction. And the players obviously miss baseball as their job too. And so you're trying to watch that play out now hopefully safely or relatively safely over the course of the next four months. James, I'm curious, you know, I'm sure there's a a range of opinions on this, so I don't mean to make you speak for the entirety of the White Sox fan base, but, you know, they were a team that was, that tried this offseason, right? They were positioning themselves to be competitive in a kind of squishy division, which, you know, in hindsight, I think is going to feel like something of a missed opportunity at times because of how much sort of to the middle this season is likely to play. Can you give us a sense of like how folks are feeling about balancing like the desire to have the White Sox play and potentially make a run at, at the Central versus whatever trepidation they might have about playing in the midst of a pandemic? Are they sitting there going, "Let them play. We want to see, yeah, you know, who's on the who's on the White Sox now? You got all kinds <laughs> of guys. Yasmani Grandal. He's a yeah. he's a White Sox. I remember White <laughs> Sox. White Sox. Uh, that, that's still a source of debate. White Sox uh, player. There we go. White right Sox around. citizen. Um, yeah, right around it. <laughs> as far as like chiefly partisan people, the people who respond to like literally anything, like you could t- be talking about racism and they preface their sentences with as a White Sox fan. <laughs> I don't really see those people that hesitant about playing. I, that's probably not. I definitely am as guilty as anyone is about having the feedback loop type of a Twitter uh, group that I follow where I see a lot of the the hand-wringing about playing and what are we doing. And I definitely talk to other writers who are definitely of, of the opinion of this is getting worse. This is a worse situation virus-wise than it was when they shut down. Why are we coming back? That's probably mostly how I feel. I would I would say I don't have like fans really coming to my my message or in comments saying protect you Lucas Giolito at all costs uh, keep them safe and home or anything like that. I feel like they're more still of the it's really only 3 years ago as much as maybe understanding of how players are humans who have value uh, has improved a little bit back then they're, they're still kind of of the mindset of like cheering all the the deals for sweet prospect depth that Rick Hahn made three years ago and how he's pulling all the strings to to ring all the value out of this group. And they're they're more about like, we're not going to lose Nick Madrigal's service time, are we? Or like, are we losing the value of Luis Roberts' extension and buying out his years if they don't play the season? Or um, are we getting all the value out of the Eloy Jimenez extension that we hope? I, I feel like they're mostly still like I don't think they are of the anti-player mindset of like throw them in the thresher who cares, but they're they're very much concerned of like we had this beautiful vision opening up 
that we are all excited about, how much of it are we losing with this? Um, I think they understand the fact. I mean, Chicago's obviously in an area and a state that probably took this whole situation more seriously than other parts of the country and was probably more willing about that and was very enthusiastic about this is something we're going to get through together early on. I definitely see that waning recently in concerning amounts, but I, I feel like they're mostly accepting of why this shutdown has happened, but they're definitely kind of whispering in not too loud voice like, but are we still going to get the contention window uh, that we thought we were going to get out of this? So I, I see mostly enthusiasm that they're coming back and the idea that they'll get something out of it. And and maybe less less angst than maybe a Dodger fan who's worried about having sold the farm for one year of Mookie Betts, and now it's uh, you know two months of it. This wasn't necessarily... They did make this move to compete. They did try, but it was supposed to only be the start of it. Uh, I think the, the moves that you really are supposed to care about with Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel, those are still multi-year long-term deals. And, you know, signing Luis Robbie to extensions, like a, an eight-year deal. You're, you're still supposed to care about... 2022 more than this season so i would say they're probably less machiavellian with their their view of this season must be played so i can get the enjoyment i was promised than uh you know maybe other fan bases yeah and the white Sox and diamondbacks the two teams that you cover and or work for are, are sort of in similar boats there in that they missed the playoffs last year but made some major moves over the offseason signed some big free agents made some big deals and really were going to go for it and there's a way in which these two teams benefit relative to other teams in that yes it's a shame that you only get to see 60 games in the best case scenario but if you look at Dan Samborski's post from the other day at Fangraphs where he looked at the changes in World Series odds between a 162 game season and a 60 game season the White Sox and the Diamondbacks are the two teams at the top of the list that have their odds go up the most because a short season tends to favor underdogs or, or teams that are kind of in that area where they're competitive but maybe not the favorites and so you shorten the season anything can happen and so I wonder whether fans would be at all excited about it or you know if the Diamondbacks upset the Dodgers let's say is that going to be hey great is that going to be the same as if they did it in a 162 game season or would fans feel like well we may have lucked into it a little bit or, or does it even affect you emotionally because it's like <laughs> hey we win we're in the playoffs let's forget about the details i mean i think i think it would depend on which side of the coin you're on if if the diamondbacks upset the dodgers and go on to win the world series diamondbacks fans are going to be thrilled dodger fans will be the ones that say that it it doesn't count right cuz you're on the other right. end of it right so and you don't think diamondbacks fans would feel no, any twinge of i, I mean oh, not that i can, i don't know maybe they yeah. would i mean maybe maybe there's somebody that would say ah oh, well you know it's a, it's a 60 game season and what i i don't know i don't know how to to answer that um you know i it, it's unfortunately i i think you know, it's the situation that we're we're dealt with. I mean, it's the season that we're going to have to have, and so I don't know that there's anything we can change that. I mean, I I can tell you from the player standpoint, I don't think that they're going to be they're going to take it any differently than they would any other season. I don't think that winning a championship in 2020 to the players will feel like it's any less of a championship than it did in any other year. I mean, the playoff format is at the very least going to be the same as what we've had, so you still have to go through that same kind of battle to get to the World Series and win it. So, I don't think that that's going to be be really any different, even though there's what 40 fewer games being played than even in 1981. So 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, t- I, th- I think it's one of those things where when your team wins a championship, you know, you, you get buoyed by the casual fans who get involved in it, right? And and I, I'm not sure that anybody is really going to walk away from uh, a championship season saying, yeah, you know, we won, but it really didn't count for us. No, it's a, that's something, to me, that's more the lament of the, the team that doesn't win the championship, that they're the ones that are, are questioning the, the authenticity of something like that. Yeah, I would think, I mean, the question I pose to White Sox fans and the response I get, it's not like they're awash in championships of the franchise or anything, but they did, they won a World Series in 2005 that most of their fan base was alive for, and that was breaking this like decades-long drought. And if they won a championship this season, the general response is it would not mean as much as it did in 2005, both for historical reasons and it just does not feel like as, as quite as full of a campaign and, and a triumph as that is. I, I think they're also in a position where they're – this was not supposed to be the year that defined uh, their era or their run. Like this is kind of a year that you could kind of write off where you want to see some incremental progress, but it's not supposed to be the year that is ultimately the measuring stick by which you use this entire, uh, you know, you judge this entire effort where you traded, you know, possibly the most talented pitcher in the history of the franchise to to jumpstart it. I I would say probably where you see a lot of disengagement of this year is that if your team goes like 25 and 35, or just kind of underperforms a little bit, or it just doesn't seem like a factor and misses the playoffs. I feel like the general reaction is not like this was a disgrace and they needed to fix it. It was just like, eh, who cares about this stupid <laughs> fake season anyway? I'm just going back to my life, uh, you know, yeah. whatever. I hope that Nick Madrigal gets through this season without striking out. It's conceivable. <laughs> Only 60 <laughs> games, he could do it. Uh, so how do you think it would be covered and how would you try to cover it? If a player decides to sit out this season and, and opt out and we're still waiting to see whether that will be the case, I know that Ryan Zimmerman said he was considering sitting out this season because he has a three-week-old baby and his mother has MS and he's also a player who was thought to be a possible retirement candidate anyway, so he's at a different stage of his life and career than a lot of players are, but if that happens or if staff members choose to to stay home, I know that Cleveland said that a couple of undisclosed staffers will, will not be participating in this season. How do you think that would be covered? Would there be a big backlash the way that we see even with like paternity leave during a normal season where people get mad at players for not being in uniform every single day? Or how would you try to present that to the public at least? I mean, for me, I think it's their their right. I mean, it, it's negotiated. Now, granted, the, the, if a player isn't high risk, they don't get service time mm-hmm. and they don't get paid for it. And to me, that almost makes it a more, you know, a more noble gesture. I mean, you're obviously doing right. it because you have either in the case of like Ryan Zimmerman, some family member, or if you're one of the players whose wife is pregnant and you're concerned about about that and you want to be able to be at home or you just have concerns about – going and traveling across the country and playing you know, three-game series over the course of two months because there's a pandemic ranging, I, I can just tell you personally, I would have a significant amount of empathy for them. I mean, I'm scared. Like, I mean, like I'm scared about a lot of the crap that's going on right now, you know? And and so I don't, I wouldn't fault them at all. And I think that that's the way that I would, I would present it. I don't care whether you're a star player or you're the, you know, the 39th guy on the 40 man roster. If you're, if you are concerned about your health in the midst of a pandemic, you've you probably have your priorities straight. And so mm-hmm. I don't know how people would react to that. 
I would assume that to some degree it depends on how much uh, capital they have invested in the season, either financially or in Vegas. And if that were to impact them, then maybe that would be where the loudest the loudest voices come from. But to me, I, I don't think that there's any other way. I don't I don't think there's another way that you should cover it personally. I mean, if you're going to opt out the season because you're concerned about your health or the health of loved ones in the middle of a pandemic, then you should have our support because we're all concerned about the same things. Yeah, I, I think it would be pretty hard morally to really come down on such a player. I mean, I would assume there'd be so many mitigating factors at work because in general, these guys want to play that for them to to sit out would probably be an enormously difficult decision for them. And there'd be so many factors kind of like backing them up that it really wouldn't be, you know, I, I probably really rarely go through these very... Um, difficult moral questions about what's the right way to cover it. I always feel like it's generally pretty obvious. And I I think Mm -hmm. that this would probably be the same case. Now, if there was some extreme reaction where a player just said like, peace, I can opt out. So I'm going to, and (laughs) didn't really give any explanation about it. And you were getting that, that kind of confusion was getting backed up by other players or teammates or, uh, front office or coach is going to whisper in you like we don't really know what his deal is but uh maybe that would be a different case but i i don't really see something like that happening i think probably the understanding of it for fans cynically i think would probably break down based off the value of the player both to the team and how much they were making i think if like some quad a up and down reliever was like i have a lot of family members who are high risk i'm caring for like a sick family member or whatnot and sat out they'd be like well that's very understanding uh, you know, we, we, you gotta, gotta support somebody like that. I think if Yuan Mankata just said like, I'm not going to play the, the White Sox fan base would probably be a lot more scrutinizing about his reasoning and probably be a lot more quick to turn on him and, and, and say, this is kind of ridiculous. He's being paid such and such million dollars. You know, that, that risk is inherent. He should be, he should be willing to play. He's letting his teammates down. I think that's where we probably, if a high profile player stepped down, I think we'd see a lot more ugliness. If like someone like Mike Trout, uh, sat out, There'd be all the people who kind of debate his level of greatness and the the talk about whether or not he's like the most talented player of his generation or maybe even all time. I think that we could see that probably get pretty nasty as terms of holding that against him on like a character level, even of of just saying that you need to be a sociopath to be considered the best, the greatest athlete, because uh, that's the model we've started to embrace in this country. But I, I, I think hopefully it'll there'll be a level of understanding about the story involved with the individual player um to for people to appreciate it but i i think there's definitely potential for it to go uh, the wrong ugly way that uh fanhood has gone before I, I think it's easier though in this sense because if somebody opts out they're not getting paid i mean i think that that's an easy an easier sell for a lot of people especially if you know there were a high priced player to do that and i do think the other part of it is is an issue of amplification in that the you know the loudest people are the ones my, my mom's a voice teacher and she always says if you can't sing good sing loud right and so it's always these loudest voices that are squawking about how player x isn't nearly as great as he should be because he's not a sociopath because he decided to do what was right for his family. And part of our job needs to be to not amplify those voices when they say something stupid about, you know, a player making a comment about whether or not they want to play because they they felt like they didn't potentially have a good season the year before or as good a season as they felt like they should have. The best thing to do is to ignore that fool because that person is a fool and all they want is the attention that comes with it. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be treated with the same 
the same importance as the story should be. And in, in a case like this, if there's a star player that walks away, it's going to be the same voices that are yelling and screaming the loudest about the fact that they didn't do it. And they're the people we should be ignoring anyway. I mean, it's the, it's the, what was the Nate Silver line and the hedgehogs and, uh, and what was the other, I can't remember the other one. Ben, Foxes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like just ignore the hedgehogs, right? Ignore the hedgehogs. We would be in a lot better shape if we just ignored the hedgehogs. And just, speaking as a hedgehog, if you ignored me, you'd be in a lot better position than if you listen to what I have to say. Yeah, I wonder what would be said inside the clubhouse. That's almost more interesting to me because I would hope that a player wouldn't make this decision one way or another because of what people are tweeting at him or whatever. But one would think that there would be a lot of peer pressure among players, right? Unless there's a a very obvious vulnerability or, or risk factor there. That would be what was on my mind if I were a player, and and I hope I wouldn't let that dictate my decision either, but I'd be thinking about what are my teammates going to say? What are my friends going to say? Are they going to feel like I quit on them or something, you know, and I wouldn't want that to be the case and just the way that clubhouses work and teams work you would think that even if it's not stated and I I would hope that teams are not putting any sort of pressure on their players but the players themselves you know it's just it's a a bunch of young guys who hang out together all the time and are macho and don't want to show any weakness and so you'd think that might be something that might influence the decision yeah I think it's largely a moot discussion I mean I, I, I don't fall the NBA super closely. I've started to follow them more, but what were there like three players that opted out of the league? And one was because Trevor Ariza's in, a, in like a, a custody battle, right, for his 12 year old son. And so he stepped away. And there were a couple of other prominent players, one, one with the Wizards. And there were only a handful. I think we're probably in a similar situation outside of maybe some that have, you know, su- extreme medical concerns. Ryan Zimmerman is certainly a prominent name, but as you mentioned, Ben, he's towards the end of his career. I think in the end, most of the discussion is going to be moot because most of the 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 players said when and where they want to get back out there and play and so it's more an academic exercise than it is one that's going to be grounded in reality i don't know if you james you got any different sense from from talking to the white Sox players or, or to the their front office over the last couple of days but at least that's the sense i've gotten here in arizona i mean we just did a conference call uh with giolito and mccann before i had hopped on here those dudes have worries. Those, they're concerned. Like, uh, neither one of them have their travel, their family coming with them just because they don't know what it's going to be like and how safe it's going to be. I don't think either one is really considering not playing, but it's not like if somebody said they didn't want to play, they'd be like, what are you doing? Where is this coming from? Like, there are all a lot of factors that they're all very cognizant of and all very worried about themselves. So I don't think it'd be out of the blue or some sort of huge break from, um, what everyone else is considering for somebody to sit out. Uh, obviously, if it's somebody like Trout uh, or Max Scherzer and it alters your team's fate entirely for them to not be like part of the team, uh, they probably would be disappointed. But I don't think mm-hmm. they can ever truly be like create that much division in the clubhouse because I feel like everyone's really cognizant that this is this is a nightmarish situation and it's really difficult to, to kind of trudge through it. It's almost like, I, I feel like if there wasn't so much kind of writing on, you know, your career and the, you know, the financial stability, of your family and everybody uh, running on it. Like, I feel like they wouldn't play because it's just, it's clearly not a great idea if there's not like, if it's not for the health of the league to kind of keep going and, and for the health of individual careers, because 
it there's a there's really reason to to sit out it, it's a it's a very legit thing it's not shrinking from the moment it's 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 recognizing the factors that are present and, and acknowledging them so we've talked a little bit about what is likely to change this year and some of the changes that we might get in terms of content i'm curious what each of you thinks the future of your respective roles is. I know this is kind of a bummer question to add on, end on because there's nothing that sports media people like to do more than grapple with the fate of their own industry. But, <laughs> you know, when I talk to people in the game who work for scouting departments or in baseball ops groups, you know, their concern with the contraction of the industry is that there will not be a subsequent re-expansion when there isn't a pandemic and things are better. And I think that there are some parallels we can draw there from there to access and in-person coverage. And so I'm curious, what of what's going on now out of necessity you think might end up being a more permanent feature when that necessity subsides? I mean, I, I think I, I largely suspect that teams are still allowing access to reporters um, out of acknowledgement of tradition or, or things that used to used to be uh, standard or essential. Um, they don't need us for the sake of promotion or have people aware that their their team exists anymore. They, they don't need us to like cover day to day stuff. They have their own media arms for that. They have their own TV partners with their own journalistic outlets, uh, so to speak. They, they don't need kind of independent people kind of poking it through holes. It, it's 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 not something that's absolutely necessary. Uh, and I guess that they're not probably going to shut out the athletic or anything like that going forward, but I don't, I feel like the longer you give them the opportunity to realize that there's stuff that they can hide or not face scrutiny for by not letting guys in the clubhouse. I I think that's obviously probably somewhat appealing to them on, on, uh, on some base level. And I think probably the push from the BBWA uh, to immediately return to normal instantly will kind of prevent too anything too drastic from really taking place but just a just a whole season of seeing how things can work without them I, I don't think it's a positive I don't think it uh yeah I, I don't think it uh it bodes well for us long term but I also have a hard time seeing them just saying next year like well we're never gonna let you back in it's just uh it'll, it may be something we look at you know a decade out from now as being a slippery slope. I would say if you ask me what the future of my industry or my role in the industry would be, it'd be um, PR for some nonprofit uh, down the road. I think that's what everyone kind of thinks they'll wind up doing. So, or I don't know, <laughs> working for uh, Cook County because that's where my mom works. and uh, She's my only lifeline in this world. <laughs> Yeah, so so in looking at both both jobs, I mean, I think you know one of the things that we have that has been a benefit to us at Sirius is that while we carry the MLB name, we're not actually owned by MLB or a partner with we're a partner with the league in the same way that rights holders are, and so the connections that we've made over the course of the last fifteen years with agents and teams has been largely through elbow grease and and you know handshakes and and whatnot and building relationships. And so from that standpoint, I don't think it's going to impact much. In fact, I think even if there were to be a group of players that were outraged at the at the way the negotiations went so much so that they wanted to try and uh, limit their 
contact with MLB, I think that they that for the most part they know or their representatives know that we're a little bit different in that while we we are promoting Major League Baseball, we are a rights holder there and that they have relationships with us in that regard. As far as the team aspect goes, you know, I, I know that there are a number of broadcasters that are very concerned that at some point they'll just be asked to do remote broadcasts all the time. But broadcasters have been concerned about that for for probably close to a decade because while what we'll be doing is unique for road games to what has happened in Major League Baseball, it has been something that ESPN and uh, Big Ten Network, Pac-12, you know, all of these networks have done for a number of years in trying to to create more coverage without spending to send people to, to different sites and taking these kind of world feeds. So I don't know that necessarily that's the biggest cost cutter in the end. I think that this is born more of of a pandemic and less about just trying to save money, although that there is that benefit to not traveling anyone. But the numbers that we're talking about is pretty minuscule compared to, um, you know, what owners could be losing in, in other ways. And when you consider that, you know, what, even if you, you grant that it's what about 40% or so of revenue that comes from game day operations, that means that almost 60% comes from media rights and media, largely television until a lesser extent radio. So I don't know that that, that is going to end up impacting our job much plus you're you're always going to need someone even if 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 you you take the worst case scenario and decide that that teams are going to try and shun independent media they're still going to need people to tell the stories of their players in an effort to help promote them and so i think from an internal standpoint it really doesn't end up impacting very much i will be curious to see which teams have we feel like have done a good job of keeping their fan bases engaged through social media platforms or or programming on YouTube. You know, I I, I watch the A's very closely because of their A's cast uh, program and, and the fact that they've created an online A's only radio station. And I think we're all kind of keeping an eye on that. You know, the the Padres brought back the social hour that Jesse Agler hosts, which which he had done when he was first hired by the Padres. And uh, they've been doing that, you know, on their Twitter feed and through YouTube and whatnot. And I think that that to me is one of the, the more interesting aspects out of this is that I think the teams that have done a good job with that are going to be a step ahead in whatever the next step for for sharing information and sharing broadcast information is for clubs because they're going to see as we continue to move digitally, you know how they can they can get into the hands and into the ears eyeballs of their listeners a little bit better. So that to me is one of the things that I'm more most interested in tracking out of this and seeing which teams did well and then whose ideas I can steal. <laughs> right. Well, I hope that your jobs continue to exist and that our jobs continue to exist and that our industry survives and also that you have safe seasons for as long as they last and that you have things to talk about and write about that may be actual action taking place on the field. James, how close were you to like scraping the bottom of the barrel when it came to article ideas? Did you just <laughs> empty out your brain and you have nothing left or or did you find that it like made you become more creative and you actually were surprised by how inexhaustible a resource it was? 
I don't want to say inexhaustible because like every couple of weeks, even after like a good stretch where like I set up a couple of phone calls to recap some trade that was 22 years ago, <laughs> I would definitely run into like some stretch where I was like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to have anything uh, ever again. Uh, I don't know what to do. Uh, maybe I should take PTO. And I, I would definitely get comments of like, this is a really good piece, but it also makes me think you're running out of ideas. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't fill me. That didn't fill me with like joy because I also thought like, well, that that wasn't my last idea. That was, I thought I felt better about that one than other things I was doing. But yeah, at, at some point this weekend, I do have to text Mike Cameron to ask about a twenty-two-year-old trade um, because I had gotten halfway there working on that, and I need to finish it. Uh, I might as well. Yeah, I, I hope to not talk to a college coach of an active major leaguer for a while. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a lot of great stories written over the past few months that wouldn't have been written otherwise. And, you know, maybe they were on someone's ideas list, then they never would have gotten to it. Or maybe they just had to dig so deep to think of something to do that they they came across something that it was just like, well, I'll do this now. And, and otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to. And it was something really good. God forbid, like the world go without like a blow-by-blow blow coverage of Yasmani Grandal turning down offers out of high school and then going to the University of Miami. If we didn't understand that part of his story, like, could we really understand him as a player? Like, hey, what do you think I'm going to steal to use in a broadcast if you don't like that? I mean, come on. Like, you're doing my prep work for me. I promise I won't credit you. I, I plan on using his line in my next contract negotiations, which will probably accelerate my uh, transition to the PR industry. Congrats just, on the nonprofit world. It's very good to people. Yeah, it's, it's a famously fun place to work. I I just look forward to hopefully traffic starting to return to our sites and people being like, you guys should write about this. Me being like, so you, you, you took a break from the site for a while. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I am we hopeful gotcha. that there's a lot of traffic too, because I, I, I know you guys know this, but my job would be, would be infinitely more difficult without having fan graphs. So oh, it is you. an important site. And what you guys do is really, really great. And the analysis in addition to the uh, statistical component is very, very important. So yes, everybody go. If you haven't been to fan graphs, at least give a page click to somebody on there today. Do it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No giant traffic bounce on day one of announcing that there would be a season, huh? I will say things uh things were better this week. Oh, things were better okay. this week. They we are we got a ways to go yet. I think uh, you know, everyone is is dipping their toe. It's like they're getting to they're getting to know an old friend again. So mm-hmm. we're in the sending text to see how you are phase and right. uh, work our way up to phone calls i guess uh but yeah no it's it was an encouraging it was an encouraging sign let's put it that way good all right well you can all find james writing about the white Sox at the athletic chicago and on twitter at jr fegan and mike is on mlb network radio covering diamondbacks games also before and after games and sometimes during games and he's on twitter too at mike underscore farron thanks to both of you and best of luck with what will be a strange season if it's a season at all <laughs> Stay safe. All right, that will do it for today and for this week. Thanks very much to James and Mike, and a personal thanks to Meg for filling in in Sam's temporary absence. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some small monthly amount to help keep the podcast going and get themselves access to some perks. Kathy Hardoon, Tom Wilson, Zachary Morgenstern, Owen Barron, and Tom Hawk. 
thanks to all of you. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and other podcast platforms. We really do appreciate those iTunes ratings and reviews. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild. Keep your questions and comments for me and Meg and Sam coming via email at podcast.fangraphs.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you are a supporter. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. It was an eventful week, aren't they all? We appreciate your spending part of it with us, and we hope that you have a wonderful remainder of your weekend. We have a holiday week coming up, but we'll be back with our usual slate of episodes, so we will talk to you then. Why would it come back through the park? You saw that you saw him, but no, you did not. Who can be sure of anything through the distance that keeps you from me?